This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. I would like to welcome the winner of 12 professional events, including four PGA Tour wins, Billy Andre to the Sub-70 Podcast. Billy, thanks for taking the time today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. So I uh, hope everyone in the family is healthy. And um, just curious what you've been working on with this downtime. Is, uh, is some practicing, uh, doing some physical work? Uh, what have you kind of been doing to uh, pass the day? Yeah, it's uh, you know this is really an uh, unprecedented unprecedented times uh, right now, and uh, we are safe as well. We're pretty hunkered down here in Atlanta. Uh, we're very uh, you know we're taking this quarantine very seriously, uh, not getting out at all. Uh, I played one time since uh, the whole Classic at Newport Beach Country Club uh, in early March. Um, before uh, things were shut down. I think it was the 12th or 13th of, of March. I haven't played. Uh, our governor has uh, uh, kind of been disappointing him a little bit, in my opinion, that he's letting uh, golf clubs are open. Now restaurants have just opened. Gyms have just opened. Uh, he's really relaxed uh, some of, some of the, the, the rules and uh, – even though golf courses have been open, I haven't played. I don't know. I just don't have the um, – I just don't want to uh, bump into somebody and get sick. Or, you know, I, I, just, I just think when, when, when quarantine says stay at home, I think we should all stay at home. So what am I doing to answer your question in a nutshell? Um, I borrowed my, my uh, niece's bike. I've been doing some biking in our neighborhood, which is very hilly, and it's fun. Um I got a putting a putting green in my backyard. I've been putting a little bit, uh, but not not a whole lot of golf activity. Uh, my wife and I played some pickleball in the driveway, uh, and I'll go downstairs and ride the ride the bike and watch some TV. But uh, trying to stay as as busy as possible, but uh, really not doing a whole lot. Um, yesterday, uh, I FaceTimed with uh, Brooke Henderson. And she's up in Canada, and uh, I said, "So have you? Have you played any golf?" And she was like, "I haven't played at all uh, since she left Florida uh, six weeks ago." So it made me feel pretty good that you know she, if she's not not playing and I'm not playing, that's okay. <laughs> so how long with this break will it take for you to kind of get back to to tournament ready, not country club ready or playing with your buddies in Florida, but actually competitive against the best in the world? How long with this layoff will that process take for you to to kind of get back in, in, in full swing of everything, no pun intended? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we you know, our our season ends at the middle of November and then we don't start back up until the end of January. And i you know, usually I play some if the weather's good in Atlanta and then go down to Florida for a week and really work and practice every day on my game, my short game, and then, uh, you know, get out to the first tournament and, you know, you usually get to, to that tournament a little early and practice and get ready and, and then go for it. Um, 
and you don't know. You really don't know how you're going to react. I don't know. I'm 56 now. Uh, I've been playing this game a long time, and uh, I feel like it, it's not going to take that that long to get back into into competitive shape. But um, uh, the break isn't 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 good for any any of us, and uh, it may take a little longer. Since you are in your 50s, and you're talking about that break from the end of the the season on the Champions Tour to you, when you start practicing again, does your body at this point? after that season almost need that downtime of even not much working out where you just have to let rest happen to kind of get ready for that next season? Yeah. Um, you know, I've always been, been pretty religious and working out and knock on wood. I haven't had any serious injuries, but, um, you know, when the season's over, you're, it's more of a mental thing, not a physical thing. And you're just kind of mentally a little drained from, you know, the pressure of the whole year. And having a chance to, you know, try to win the Schwab Cup or be in the mix, uh, and it's been so much fun playing on the Champions Tour uh, the last six, seven years here, and um, uh, and it's uh, always looking forward to to a start of a new year. But it's uh, it's not really for me. It's never really been a, a physical thing. It's always it's more of a mental thing where you're mentally fresher uh, when you take that time away. So. Um, maybe this time right now is a good time as well that where you know we come back uh, then, that uh, that I'll be mentally uh, fresh and ready to go. Well, well, speaking of the mental side of game, you know it's uh, it's always something that the pros are working on, and I know you've been fortunate enough to have one of the greatest elite mental coaches in the world on your side, Mr. Larry David. And uh, just, you know, how much <laughs> how much reliance do you rely on, you know, Mr. Sunshine, if stuff's not going right, to be able to call him and have you lift your spirits, tell you everything's going to be okay? I mean, that has to be a huge asset to use whenever you want it. And I don't think a lot of your competitors have that phone line to that kind of greatness. Uh, no, it's just uh, absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh, he puts you right in your place. You know, he tells you exactly uh the truth and sometimes the truth hurts but uh no we've been friends for a while and played some golf together and um god he's just uh he's just a brilliant man he's he's very very funny and uh, uh our friendship has been has been a lot of fun and um i did i did a little fun thing with it and said that he was my he was my my mental coach uh, when I went out and played in our second playoff event last <clears throat> October, and we went to dinner, and I took a picture and said, "Here's my new, here's my new coach." But you know, over the years, thinking about the sports psychology, you know, when I first got on tour, uh, I worked with Bob Rotella for a while, and then later in my career on tour, I worked with Dick Coop, and um, two different types of sports psychologists, and uh, two wonderful at what they did. Um, and they both really helped me through navigate through a, a long a long career on, on on the PGA tour and I can't thank those guys enough for all the help they did for me over my my career. I do have to ask the one question because I love the Larry David's sense of humor in the shows that he's been you know with it in real life when he's not trying to be funny, is there still some element of that personality in him 24 7? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, that's, he's, that's um, him. You're, when, no, no, no. When you're, when you're with him, you're in an episode and it's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is. This, this year I, I, I showed up at his house. I just flew in from Atlanta. It was Monday night of, uh, of that QQQ, uh, 
playoff event that we have at Sherwood out in, in Thousand Oaks. And uh, I got to his house. He lives uh, near Riviera Country Club. And he opened the door and he looked at me. He goes, you flew with shorts on? I said, what? <laughs> he goes, you flew cross country with shorts on. And I said, yeah, why? What's the big deal? He goes, I don't want to like sit next to you and, you know, sit next to a guy with shorts and with hairy legs. And, you know, it's just, you know, you got to wear pants. You can't wear shorts. And then, you know, find out that he did an episode of Curb um, where he was on a plane and the guy next to him had hairy legs and had shorts on and it bugged him. <laughs> you were living an episode in real life. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. done it quite a few times, actually. He had another one. We played golf at Riviera. And if you've ever been to Riviera, the, the driving range is um, not very big. And it's down the bottom of the hill next to the 10th tee. It's sandwiched between the 10th hole and the second hole. And they have a big, huge fence that goes around um, the left side of the of the uh, driving range and around the back of the driving range. Because if you hit it uh, over the over the, the big net, at the end of the driving range, you hit into the 11th fairway. And um, we go to play, and he's a little upset because Riviera Country Club, you have to have coins and put it into the machine to get balls. And he forgot his coins up in the locker room. And he had to go walk all the way back up to get coins. And he's like, you know, this is a private club. You would think they would just have range balls on the on the driving range. But no, i got to go get the the damn coins and all that. And then he comes back and he goes and he hits balls next to the, next to the fence on the left down at the end. And the reason why he was doing that is he was swinging the club and he was letting go of the club into the fence. Cause he was trying to work on his follow through and work on his release. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know what, what, um, uh, <laughs> what pro, uh, what lesson, where he got that from, I have no idea, but that was his, at that time, that's what he was working on. He's working on his, his release and turning the ball over. And the only way he can do it is to just let go of that five iron right into the just, left fence. Just there. flip and it at impact. So. And the, the club pro guy would yeah, be proud, yeah, right? Yeah. Just flip it at impact and let it go left. No, I'm guessing Butch Harmon <laughs> did not send that one over to him. Oh my! I don't think so. See, there's an episode right there. I mean, I always go back to the one where the the guy passed away and they had to get the five wood out of the casket. is just classic, right? Of you know, you yeah. can't can't let the guy yeah. take his club. But there's an episode in real life right there, right? Like Larry working on his golf swing, and then you could have been the straight guy, of course, looking at him. Why, like, who yeah. taught him how to? Why would you do that with a golf club? You've been around golf your whole life. You've never heard of this. Then you right. two could have argued about the merits of it. There's a there's a curve oh, sure. right there. Oh, that's so great. Right there. And probably people in Absolutely. the range are looking at him like, I'm not even shocked that he's doing this at this point. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not at all. <laughs> exactly. That's so cool that uh, you got to hang with him a little bit. Like I said, I love the sense of humor. Yeah. But uh, back to the golf, the real golf here. You had a great, you've had a great run on the Champions Tour. Last year, over a million dollars in earnings. I was looking at the stats. It's You're playing some solid, solid golf. A, what are you, you doing to have that level of consistency? And then B, what's the next step to get to where that level of consistency turns into, say, three or four wins you know, a season? Because you have to be close. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, last few years have been um, some of my best and also a little frustrating that I haven't gotten, you know, broke. Um, I hadn't gotten to the winner's circle 
I've come close quite a bit. Um, when I, my late in my forties, uh, I, I got hired by the golf channel to do some TV and, and take a little, take a little break from the game. Um, my status wasn't any good. I kind of lost my card. Um, I was asking for sponsors exemptions and, you know, that lasts for about a year. And if you can't get your game back, it's, it's hard to get sponsors exemptions because there's only four a week. Um, so I decided to take a little break from the game. It was a perfect time with my family. My wife was going back to school. My kids were in high school and middle school at the time. And so I was home more and did some TV for three years when I was 46, seven and eight. I played a little bit, but not, a, I only played a couple tournaments. Um, and I really got a great perspective of the game. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I got refreshed. And when I turned 49, I started practicing to get ready when, it, when I turned 50 and didn't do TV. Um, my goal when I turned 50 was, you know what? I've worked my tail off my whole career. And sometimes it's not fun. You know, when you, when you're not playing great and you're trying to get your game back and you're, you know, you're constantly uh, the mental grind of, um, you know, is this, this coming week going to be the week where I, you know, turn things around or am I going to miss another cut? I mean, it's a, a lot of pressure that you, you don't realize it when you're in it, but looking back on it going, especially towards the end of my PGA tour career, um, when you're not as competitive and you're not playing, you're not as consistent, I should say, um, that when I went to going to the champions tour, my goal was to have fun. And just enjoy this. I worked my tail off to get to this point. Um, I have status. And I'm going to come out here on the Champions Tour and just really enjoy it. And if I play great, fine. If I don't play great, it's not a big deal. Uh, this life and death thing and putting pressure on yourself, you know, to try to succeed, to try to get better. And with that mindset, with that attitude, uh, I've really, it, you know, my Champions Tour so far has been absolutely, it's been a phenomenal run of having a great time and then the success that comes with it. And, you know, the last couple of years, uh, probably more consistent, uh, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Um, the, the thing with all sports and especially in golf, uh, in, 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 in that you got to get a little lucky too you got to catch a break. Um, you know, I won the Schwab cup final, uh, my second year on the tour for my third win of that year. I think it was 2015 and I beat Bernhard in a playoff. Well, on the 71st hole, I hit a five iron and I, I was trying to hit a little cut to a right pin. And I, I, I kind of flip hooked this thing and it was way too much club with a hook with a little fade, it was going to be okay. And I hit it over the green. It was up a desert mountain. It hit a rock and the ball bounced back on the green about 20 feet. And normally, I mean, when you're on the second to last hole of the tournament and you hit a shot that bad, normally that you're, you're, you're making a double bogey and you're going to lose the tournament. And in that situation, the ball hit the rock. It came back on the green and I, I made par. I birdied the last hole. I got in a playoff. And then I, I win the playoff against Bernhard. And you, 
I got a little lucky. And I, I think, you know, the last year or so here, I've been knocking on the door quite a bit. And, uh, you know, just other guys have played better. You've got to tip your cap. You know, what do you do to get to the next? I mean, that's such a, a cliche question that everybody asks. What are you going to do to get to the next level? Well, I think I'm at the next level. It just so happens that you're there. You just got to keep, you know, keep getting there. And then, you know, maybe one, one Sunday afternoon, uh, you know, you kick in a 40 footer on the last hole to win or you, or somebody else, um, doesn't birdie the last four or five holes to beat you by a shot. You know, I mean, things, crazy things happen in those last nine holes. And, uh, if I just keep giving myself the opportunity, I think, um, I'm going to do just fine here the next four or five years. So interesting that, and I know it is a cliche question, but I was just more curious of, you know, because you guys are always trying to get better, right? And was there a little oh, yeah, something yeah, yeah. that you're trying to like, no, I've really been focused. You know, I looked at my stats last year and I'm working on this. And it's 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 almost yeah. like you guys on tour, always, there's never just complacency, at least from the hundred guys I've talked to on the podcast. I get the sense that without that journey of trying to get better and improving, uh, you guys, you don't get to the level, I mean, you played, you know, the tour forever. You don't you don't get to that level of excellence without having that inner drive of improvement and getting better. I'd have to imagine. So I was kind of going more from the question from that standpoint. Is there, you know, and obviously you're playing some great golf and have done it for you know your whole career. You can't do what you've done without that. But was there a little thing or here that you're like, yeah, I'm I'm really focusing on, you know, my wedge game from I'm just 80 yards and in, in or something like that. It's always interesting to talk to the guys and say. What are they sort of trying to to, to fine tune, for lack of a better word? Right? I mean, yeah, I, I, would, I would say, yeah, I would say, uh, absolutely. Uh, inside of a hundred yards is is so big, especially on our tour. Um, you know, the golf courses aren't as long and demanding as the regular tours. So you can have a lot more short clubs in and wedges in some of the holes. And if you look at the guys that have dominated the Champions Tour. Um, just go right down the money list from Hale Irwin with 45 wins, Bernhard with 41 or two wins. Um, Jay Haas is got is up there and all these guys are great, great players inside of a hundred yards, great players inside of a hundred and say 40 yards and in. So, you know, if it, it's, there's no, uh, there's no secret if, if you can get these clubs close to the hole and you have, you'll have, you know, your higher percentage of chances of making birdies, uh, and then putting, it's all about, you know, if you're, if you're putting well, uh, I think the last few years I putted okay and it, it stretches, but not, I haven't like just been unconscious. And, and I'd like to get to that point of, of having a few weeks where, um, you're making a lot of putts. Um, uh, but I think that every player says the same thing. And that was one thing interesting about doing TV that I did for three years was I always had, you know, the top player. So if it was Woods was playing, I was following him. If it was Phil Mickelson, I was following him. If it was DJ, I was following him, whoever. And uh, I kind of realized, I think all players think that all the best players and all the guys that are winning, they make everything. And then you, then you go out there and you follow with them and you, you realize, you know what? They don't make everything. Nobody does. Um, we all think everybody that's winning is making every putt and they're not. And, uh, it was just a great perspective. The one thing I did learn following a lot of these top players was how great they chipped it. 
and how great their touch was from 50 feet on a, on a green where um, the stress, you know, the five footers all day long of stress trying to save par, save par. If you miss a green, you chip at the six, seven feet. These guys are chipping at tap-ins, you know, having 40, 50 foot putts on, on a hole and, and putting it up to a tap-in. When you're tapping in all the time, you talk about less stress versus more stress or you you're, you're, you got five, six footers all day long for par, you know, eventually you're going to start missing a few of those and, and then it kind of wears on you a little bit. So I would say to answer your question, you know, always trying to work inside of a hundred yards, wedges, working on wedges, trying to get them close, uh, keeping the ball flight down instead of getting it up in the air. Cause the higher it goes up in the air, it could go anywhere and working on your, on your putting and trying to, trying to, you know, get that flow going. You know, with me, it's all about flow. You know, I, I kind of compare it to, you know, Shaquille O'Neal on the, on the, on the free throw line. And then you got Ray Allen or Steph Curry on the free throw line and the difference between the two, you know, Curry and Ray Allen have a perfect routine. Everything's the same, beautiful flow. And then you got Shaquille O'Neal on the, on the, on the free throw line and, you know, he looks awkward. He, he doesn't look like he, the ball is too small for him. It looks like he's kind of pushing, pushing the ball instead of stroking the ball. Uh, so a lot of similarities between those two and, 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 and all I try to work on with my putting is just a good routine and, and having good flow. It's interesting from the TV side that you kind of learn that from watching the players. And then when you were playing the tour, you played with the best players on tour for you know 20 years plus. Was it one of those things where you were so involved in your game when you're playing, you just don't really notice what the other guys are doing? And now when you have to cover it and comment on it, it's just a different perspective that kind of allowed you to, to gain that knowledge? Absolutely. Yeah. When you're, I mean, I, I mean, in 2000 was, t- was, Arguably, people will say it was, the, it was the greatest year of golf that one player has ever had, Tiger Woods, uh, in the calendar year, going, going with the Masters in 01. He won four majors in a row. And in 2000, I played with him the first two rounds of his 15 events that he played. I think I got paired with him like eight times, seven or eight times. And I had his scorecard a few times, Jay. And I'm telling you what – the first round, normally, in the, the rounds that I played with him, he played not very good. And then you add it up, and I played okay. And I add it up, and I go, well, I, I, I got his card, and I know I got, and I, I know I, I played so much better than him. And he shoots 68 or nine, I shoot 70. And then, you know, and then the, the next day he would get, you know, Tiger's mo was he starts slow and then, you know, usually and then finishes strong. Well, a lot of the times I played with him, golly, man, he didn't look like he played very well, but that's what the greats do is when they're not on, they can still shoot 68, 69. And when they're on, they shoot 64 or five. So, um, yeah, you're, you're so into your game and you're working your game and you're thinking about the next shot. You're really not paying attention much to the guy you're playing with. Uh, or you try not to, because if you start following what he's doing then it's going to take away from what you're trying to do so yeah that to answer that that's definitely the case i learned way more watching uh observing uh with no stress and and just walking around talking golf 
than um, being in the in the fire and playing. It's um, yeah, a totally different um, look see of of your opponents. So interesting to have those two different perspectives, and you've had both sides of it. It's that's really interesting to see how you kind of took you know, later when you were doing the TV thing of what you took away and then how you're using it now. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, I was going to ask you, uh, what would a, a major on the Champions Tour mean for you at this point in your career? And, is, if, and if you could get one, is there one that is in your mind that, gosh, if I could if I could get one, that's the one I'd want? Well, I'll tell you, um, it, it's the same question if you asked me if I was on the regular tour, and it would be any. Um, uh, it, it really does not matter. I think the U.S. Open has always been the hardest tournament to win because the way it was set up when I was in my prime, um, you know, tight fairways, big, big rough, um, and just brutal conditions where uh, par is a tough score. You know, if you could survive around par, you have a chance to win. That's the way the U.S. Opens were set up when I played. Um, on the Champions Tour, to answer your question, any would be fantastic. But um, I was really looking forward this year to the U.S. Open uh, at Newport Country Club in Newport, Rhode Island, where I grew up yeah. uh, 20 minutes down the road, um, a golf course that I grew up uh, when I was a little boy. I played with my, my grandfather and my dad. And then um, over the last you know, t- 30 years of my life, I have a few friends, Charlie Hayes, Bill, Billy Campbell down there that are members and Every summer, I we always get together and and play at least one round of golf in the summer, and uh, just a golf course that I just absolutely love. So uh, sad that uh, that tournament was canceled during this this whole uh, pandemic, but um, hopefully, maybe in a few years they can they can get back to Newport. I know that on the schedule, I think we're opened up in twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, and maybe. Uh, you know, Newport and USGA can get get us back on on that schedule. That'd be awesome. But uh, again, to answer your question, um, I, I I come close. Uh, finished second to Stricker last year at the, our Regents Tradition Major down in Birmingham. Um, I think I finished third. I think at a British Senior Open. Um, so I've come close in a few. And uh, I would love to win a British. Uh, I would love to win a major. It, it doesn't matter. It uh, it'd be really cool to be able to do it at my age. It's Jason from the Sub Seventy Podcast, and I would like to announce we are fully back open again here in Sycamore, Illinois. Uh, building golf clubs, answering your questions. It's really exciting to be back, and I hope all of you guys are staying safe and healthy. Uh, if you need anything, reach out to me or the staff, uh, social media, reach out to Jay, but we are always glad to answer any questions you may have. Working on some fun projects, uh, Jeff Bushnell is working on the Bushnell Tour Series Forged Wedges. We've got some new putters going, so always something exciting to uh, kind of keep us going and announce uh, some fun things moving forward. So hope everyone is enjoying a little bit of golf in the nicer weather, and hope you're enjoying the podcast with uh, Billy. He's a great guest to have on. Thanks again for all the support, and uh, look forward to talking to you all soon. Take care. Yeah, it'd be cool to have one of those on the trophy case with the with the other victories you've had, right? I mean, you saw like when Stricker yes. won that first one, you could see, you know, the emotion of you know winning a major, yeah. right? Like it's, I mean, it's right. got to be the ultimate goal and to have that on the trophy case at the end of your career. Yeah. 
definitely right. would add to that a little bit, I'd have to imagine. I, I, yes, I was sir. talking to a buddy of mine and said uh, we were talking about interesting questions we could potentially come up with, with with you on the pod. And this is like an interesting bar conversation of like hardcore golfers, but I'll phrase it this way. So if you took, okay. let's, let's throw yourself in there. Take the 10 best players on the Champions Tour, and let's, let's say you're one of the 10. How many of those guys could still finish, let's say, if, if you could pick your own schedule, so you could pick the tournaments you want to play on the PGA Tour, how many of those guys do you think could still be top 70, 80 players on the PGA Tour if you could pick the 20 events or so you could play in, i.e., a golf course like Colonial that, you know, you don't have to hit a 320 off the tee to compete? Because I know the level play out there right. is still really, I mean, you go watch it. You guys can still play. There's not much off the fastball from what you guys had, let's say, in your 40s still really high level. Right. How many of those guys would still be exempt and being competitive out there, would you say? Well, you know, if you asked me this question 20 years ago, and you're asking the um, with golf courses that were on the PGA Tour um, versus the golf courses today, I would say that the top 10 guys, I'd say maybe seven or eight could could finish in the top 70 or 70 on the money list on the PGA tour. But now um, the way the game has changed and the way the course setups have changed on the PGA tour, I think that uh, that number is much lower because of how long the golf courses are. You know, there's, you got Harp town, you got colonial, you got the Bob, you know, the, the, tournament at PGA West with Bob Classic used to be. Um, Deer Run and Silvis isn't that got, long, you, all things you, relative, yeah. Yeah, you got um, you got Wiley. Um, but other than that, you know, all these golf courses that the these young kids are playing on, they're just, just bombers delight. And it's just uh, it just makes it that much harder. You know, you know the difference between, um, you know, hitting a a five iron and these guys are hitting wedges, mm-hmm. or you're hitting a six iron and you know these guys are hitting sand wedge um, to get it close to the hole. I think is going to be harder. So I would say that that number would be lower. I'd, I'd go with. I think we could have four of our top ten guys could uh, could make it in the top seventy, um, but it's but it's it's a different animal. You know, that's a, that's a difference between, you know, the champions tour and the regular tour is our tour. You know, we don't have cuts except for majors. Um, and it's just go out and, and, you know, play the best you can. It's no big deal on the regular tour. Um, missing cuts, you start missing cuts, you start missing cuts, keep going home on a Friday. How how are you handling that? How, How are you handling, you know, you miss, five or six cuts in a row. So then the pressure's on. Now you've got to go to, now you're going to Hilton Head. Now you're going to Colonial and you go, well, you know, this is set up for me. Now I got to really play because, you know, I have a, not an advantage, but you know, I'm, I know these courses and you go out and you don't play well and you miss those cuts. So I think it's, uh, I think it's very difficult. Um, I don't know what, what's your, what, what what do you think the average would be? What's your what's your take? You think it would be more? You think it would be less? I think it would be more than people think it would be. When you if you know 
if VJ, as long as he is, for example, really committed just to play the PJ Tour, I think he could. I think he could be in the top 100 quite easily, 75 or 80, as much you know, as, as long as he is. How has he has he has he done that? I always has he, he done that. No, not recently, but then he goes back and forth between both tours, right? I think you would have to say, right, right, right. I'm just playing the PGA Tour. So I'm setting my schedule right, up I'm... for that. Right, right. You know, would, would that make a difference, right? Like you're saying, it's a little bit of a different mindset. And if, if VJ said, I'm not going to do the split, if I'm just going to do PGA Tour and pick out the 20 courses I like, right. you know, Retief Goosen, could he do the same thing? You know, L's as long as they are. Um, still, relatively speaking, could they could they do it? And my question always has been like, with Ernie, how motivated was he in his late forties, knowing that he's accomplished so much? And you know, and I'm also putting this into context with them working really hard at a PGA Tour schedule. You know, how many of those guys right. could still do it? I don't know. Longer would be tough, right? Because are the courses just too long? But yet he top thirties it at the Masters every year. I always think it's, it's an interesting. Right question i don't know i think yeah. you could have four or five guys be damn close to it yeah you know, I, I don't disagree i don't level, disagree with you i just think it would be it's it's i think it's very hard you know davis love is really hasn't committed to play the champions tour as much as the regular tour and you know he's had a hard time but he's been injured right. um but we but it, it's uh it's 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 very difficult it's very difficult, but it's a great question. Yeah, I, I think the average golf fan does not realize the level of play on the Champions Tour. And if you get, I've been lucky enough to go out to some of the events with media stuff and watch it up close. And right. I mean, it's I mean, it's stupid good still, right? Like, uh, yeah, you know, it's still. I mean, the, I mean, there's so much better than the best player at your club still, who could be 28. It's not even huh. close, right? Like, this, it's such a right. difference still between a plus one or plus two handicap, and where you guys are at, it's still right. a plus five or six. It's a totally different game. So it's interesting, right. you know. It's an interesting storyline of how well, you know, what would happen if it actually did happen. But I think you guys have a good time playing the Champions Tour. I, I, I could see we wouldn't want to go back to that grind, even if you could get a. You know, exemption. Let's say if you were career money or whatever, and wanted to do it, looks way more fun to play in the Champions Tour. And you're, you know, that's it's. Uh, you know, like I said, well, you've worked your you've worked your you worked your tail off your whole career, and now you have an opportunity to play with your buddies. Exactly, and yeah. you're getting back to you're getting back to having fun. Uh, I think the camaraderie on the Champions Tour is is unbelievable, and I I think that's where a lot of the guys, including myself. Uh, you know, when I first got out there, I didn't know what to expect. And then I just could not believe the, how I was so welcomed by all my peers that I haven't seen in, in years and years. And I think that's the, I think that's the number one thing about how great the champions tour is, is that, um, you know, especially late in your career when you've been a dominant player and you've, you've, you've been very good. And all of a sudden now you're, you're barely making cuts and you're not finishing in the top 125. And then, you know, you, not that the game sours you, you just get, you just get down and you just get a little just depressed, like, God, I'm just not as good as I used to be and blah, blah, blah. Then you get out on a champions tour and everybody's just, I mean, having a good time. You, 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 you know, you, you, you go out to dinner with some guys, do, doing all the things that 
you get late in your career on the regular tour, you don't even know half these guys. And that, that that's the one thing, like Timmy Heron just came out this year. Uh, Ernie's come out this year. Furyk's going to come out um, when we get back to playing. I think he's going to start playing. And, you know, those guys, I mean, that's the first thing they say is like, oh, my gosh, I can't tell you. I don't even know half the players now. I mean, and they, they're just all so serious and there's no fun. Nobody's laughing on the range. Uh, everybody's got their entourage. I mean, it's some serious stuff versus, Hey, you come on the champions tour, man. You don't, you hardly see a teacher. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, everybody's just having a good time and it's just, um, I think it, you, you get your passion back to play and then you become a little competitive and then all of a sudden, Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. And that's, and that's what it is pretty much. I got that sense from just observing the driving range of the needle all the guys are giving each other, and you can tell it just has a totally different relaxed feel compared to a PGA Tour driving range, even like on a Wednesday, right. on a practice round, even on right. Champions Day. It's just, you can tell you guys are having fun, and you should. You've earned it. You you know, you've had great careers to get out there, and that's a part of it, and fans still want to see you play. And it's a, I love the tour. It's, it's fun to watch the guys who were my heroes growing up, uh, you know, yeah. still playing competitive golf. And I think, I think the fans appreciate and like it. Um, also another great event I was going to ask you about too. You got to play in a Walker cup in 1987, uh, over at Sunningdale. What, what memories did you take from, or do you have from that? And I also saw on the uh, opposition side, there was a young Colin Montgomery playing. So did you get to play against Monty a little bit in that event? And how special was that event? Uh, looking back in your career? Yeah, it was really special. Um, I do remember that uh, the year before I played on the world amateur team, which was for a four man team. We played in Venezuela and uh, the great Britain and Ireland, their top four guys. I don't know what happened. They got in trouble. Something happened. They got into a fight with maybe the, their captain or the people that took them over from great Britain and Ireland. And so they all were suspended or all didn't, didn't play in the 87 Walker cup, which they were all going to, they were their top, top four guys. So they didn't play. So they were, they were a four man down against, uh, we had a pretty, a pretty good team. We, we had, uh, experience. Then we had a few young, young guys like myself. And, um, I remember walking in, I guess, uh, the Ryder cup and the Curtis cup were sitting in a trophy case. And then, then they had the, the the Walker cup there as well. And it was like that they were, you know, they were trying to, they were trying to win the three cups at the same time. And so that was their, that was our motivation to see the, see the, 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 the uh, Walker cup was, um, they wanted that as well to have the trifecta there. So, um, we, uh, we went out, my partner was Jay Sigel. Um, we, we played uh, foursomes together. Uh, we, we get, we had a huge lead and then I played Monty, uh, and I think we were second off in the afternoon singles the second day, which was the final day. And I think Buddy Alexander was up ahead of me, and he won his match. And Monty and I were even going to uh, the 14, 15, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, we were even after 13. I think 13 is a par three at Sunningdale. And right up ahead of us, um, buddy won. So, so we, we, we clinched. Now we got nine other matches going on. 
So I thought we were going to walk in. You know, we, we, we clinched. Why, why, are we, why are we going? They said, no, 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 you've got to keep going. So Monty, he, he won 14, 15, 16. He beat me three and two. And I walked off the green. I went right up to the camera, and I had a fist pump like, you know, we won. This, this is unbelievable. You know, we won. I went right up to the camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I realized the next week at the British Amateur, you know, I became this little, little bit of a folk hero because I was the American who lost to Monty, but I was so happy. <laughs> you right, know, right, right. Yeah, why why, would, I, why yeah. would I be? Why would I be happy? I, I just got beat. I just lost the last three holes to lose, but I didn't care because we won the. We're, we're going over there to win, win the cup. Exactly right. And we won the, we won the cup, and you know, I think it. I don't know if it was a record, but we we beat them up pretty badly. And it was, um, it would have been a different story if those four guys, and I don't think people even know that, but they're, they're top four guys or maybe top three of the four. Um, they suspended them and didn't play. So it was a fairly easy, easy week, but it was really cool because the European tour, uh, was, was being played. The U- European PGA was being played that same week and Seve Ballesteros was staying at our hotel um, ran into him a couple times, said hi to him. And then that, that, um, forged a friendship where, you know, he knew who I was. So when I played in my masters in 87 and, um, when I played, uh, when I played in on the tour starting in 88, you know, I played some practice rounds with Seve when he came over, uh, at that time he was the number one player in the world. So, uh, it was really cool that they were playing right down the street. I think they were playing at Walton Heath while we were playing at Sunningdale. So it was nice. I, I didn't know that you, you you got to play quite a bit with Seve, you know, as a young pro. What was it like to spend some time with him? And, gosh, the, the knowledge base of short game you could have learned and shots, I mean, that had to be pretty cool for a young pro to spend time with yeah, Seve Ballesteros, it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was he was a rock star. He was, you know, he was, uh, uh, he turned heads. And then you watched him play and hit shots. You know, he wasn't a great driver of the ball, but he didn't have to be. He did everything else uh, amazingly. And just, uh, you know, just picking his brain, uh, picking, you know, all the – I would always try to play practice rounds with uh, the best. Um, if it was Tom Watson back when I was a young player or, you know, seeing Seve when he came over playing some practice rounds with him. Um, you, you, can, you can learn so much. You just watch, just observe. How are you going to get better? Well, if you're around greatness, you got a pretty good chance of getting better if you just uh, ask questions and pay attention and watch how they do it. Um, you know, Seve gave me a tip with a with a, a weak left hand of trying to hit a bunker shot. Um, if you want to get a flop shot up in the air, go weaker with your left hand. You know, that's what that was one of his tips he gave me when I was a kid. Something I never forgot. I'm 56 years old now. And he's no longer with us. It's pretty amazing that uh, I can remember a tip, tip that I got from 1988. Wow, that's really oh. cool. Well, one of the best short games, if not the best that ever, you know, played on the major tours. I've talked to a bunch of guys, and they're like, it was his short game. Even when he lost his full game, his short game was still just absolutely ridiculously good. In shots that other pros, you know, I, I, still, I don't have that one. He was just that good. I still. 
I still remember, I don't know what year it was, but we played four rounds together at TPC. We both shot 70, 71 the first day. We both shot 70 the third day. I think it was the year maybe that uh, Lee Jansen won. You know, the golf course was really hard. I think he shot five under and one. So we were right in the mix on Sunday. Um, but I, I remember a shot he hit on the seventh hole. The pin was tucked front left over, over a pot bunker, and he had a downhill lie. And he was about 20 yards short of the green. And he opened up his, his um, the most loft he had on his sandwich is 56 degrees. That's what he used. He never used a 60. So he had a 56 degree sandwich with a downhill lie to a, to a, a, a pin over a pot bunker. So it's, if it hits over the top of the pot bunker, it's going to run 40 feet past. And he hit this thing. And it wasn't, it didn't come out high. It came out low with spin and it hit like right next to the hole and it stopped like a tap in. It was one of the greatest chips I've ever seen in my life. Like how the hell did he do that? And I remember last year playing the, uh, playing the seat uh, the senior British, um, last year. And, um, Rolex has a, has a pro-am there. And I was sitting next to, Jose Maria Olazabal and Jimenez was at the same table and Michael Campbell was sitting next to me and we started talking Seve and the thing that Olazabal said that was was amazing about his chipping was you know when you want to get the ball in the air sometimes you want to take it outside and come inside and your ball would hit and spin a little to the right Seve never took the club outside. Seve on chip shots always took the club inside. So his chips and his bunker game, the, the balls would always have straight spin, not side spin. And that's hard to do, like especially when you have to get a ball up in the air. And Seve said he learned playing, you know, on the beaches where he grew up and, and you know, hitting, playing with a five iron, and opening up a five iron, hitting bunker shots with a five iron. And so when you get a 56 degree club in your hand, that was no big deal for him. But yeah, and, uh, a and, lot of, and, a lot of fun memories, a lot of fun memories with him. And, uh, just, uh, like you said, just a wizard with, with, with the short game. That's crazy. He could hit shots like that. Cause I think of hitting a flop shot and I'm automatically taking the club slightly outside my normal path and, you know, making it go left right. and kind of cutting underneath. Like, how could you do that? Making the club essentially from the other side. I mean, just genius. Absolute genius, and hitting it and, and hitting it straight up in the air yeah. with a fifty-six degree, fifty-six degree sandwich, not a sixty. Just or a you know, guys use sixty-four now. Right, <laughs> I mean, right, it's crazy. Yeah, that man had some some just all-world talent. It's uh, I love hearing the stories about him, and and you know, like I said, just greatness. It's what it was. It's don't win around the world like he did. And then the aura and the whole, he had the whole nine yards. I, I love Seve Ballesteros and the stories that guys have them are so interesting to hear about. Um going to ask you too, on your, on your four wins on the PGA tour and really curious on the back to back weeks, what kind of heater is that like? And what does golf feel like when it's on that kind of a role where you're just winning and it's your first win and then boom, second week, second win, like, is it? Is well, it just I, seem like the cup is about the size of a basketball, or you know, where yeah. where does that rank? 
of, of, of that yeah. kind of level of excellence for that extended period of time. Yeah, well, it actually, it started uh, the week before at the Colonial in Fort Worth. And this is where, you know, I, I've to- told the story before, and it's, and this is where you learn from the greats of the game when you ask questions. So I'm teeing off. I'm one of the first groups off on Sunday uh, at Colonial. I'm, sh- you know, I'm in one of the, I'm in 70th place. And it's easy for guys when they're in 70th place that they just go out and they don't give a, give a crap and they don't really pay attention and they just get through with the round. They get to the airport and they go home or whatever. Um, I never did that. You know, I always treated every round and, you know, I'm, I'm going to grind. I'm going to somehow today, I'm going to shoot a good score. I, I haven't played well this week. I haven't putted very good at all that week. And, you know, I went around the front nine and I was a couple over, uh, and I got to the, I think it was the 11th green, the par five. And I said, you know what? I haven't putted worth a crap here. I'm going to, I'm going to open my stance. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change my stance. So I just opened my stance up, kind of putted like fuzzy, you know, fuzzy had that open mm-hmm. stance and just was, was crouched down a little bit. And, oh my gosh, I made a 15 footer for birdie. Well, then I birdied 12 then I birdied 14 then I birdied 15. Then I birdied 17 Then I birdied 18. So I played like the last, I think the last eight holes and six under. And then the next week was the Kemper open. And I'm like, well, you know what? I, I, I'm going to keep the same stance. I go out, start on the back nine. I think I shot four under on the front and I ended up shooting 67. And next day I shot 64. And the next day I shot 65. I don't, I don't, I ended up shooting 21 under Jeff Sluman, one of my good buddies, two of us are in a playoff. I beat him. The next day I got to get up and go to Woodmont country club. Cause it's us open qualifying. And I was, I think one over after the, 13th hole the next day and i was like you know i'm too, i'm tired you know i didn't sleep at all you know and then all of a sudden i don't know i just got this adrenaline rush and i just it was very clear and i ended up shooting 10 under for the two days so i played the last what 24 holes in like 12 under or whatever to shoot 10 under total and i won that i won that the next day I had an outing at Quaker Ridge and shot 66. Then it was the Pro-Am at Westchester, and then I go out at Westchester and shoot 11 under. And then I go to the U.S. Open at Hazeltine, and I'm four under after 10, or I think four under after nine. I was make, Four under after eight. I was just making everything. And then we had a, we had a storm delay where um, they were um, this huge – thunderstorm came in and lightning and some people I think ended up um, getting hit and I think a couple ended up passing away and um, we had two rain delays that day and I, I I hit the wall I hit it over the green on 11 made a I don't know, triple there I made a quad on 16 coming in so the run the run kind of ended there but for those uh 
for those three weeks, um, yeah, you say a basketball. Yeah, it was a basketball. It was every putt was right down the line. Uh, routine was incredible. Letting it go. Incredible. Um, it, I didn't even, sometimes it didn't even have to even look, just get up. Okay. Yeah. Boom. I'm going to make it in the left side of the hole. I'll make this one. I'm going to go a little easy with this one and just kind of trickle it in. Oh, I'm going to hit this one firm straight in. Um, you know, all those things, uh, came together and it was, uh, it was, it was a time, uh, that I never forget winning your first two tournaments on the PGA tour, winning them in a row was, it's not done a whole lot. No, so that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's a heck and, of a streak. Uh, yeah. I'm really proud of that, that streak at that time. And then you have the uh, Canadian open, which is so cool. Part of the, the triple crown, right? You have a, that's a big tournament and the national championship. And then I also have to ask you, it had to be, I'm guessing the same sort of week, 28 under when you won in Vegas for your fourth win and beaten Phil by one. Is that another one of those weeks where it's just on autopilot? I mean, 28 under par and four rounds of golf is no that, that was actually fi- that was actually five. Oh, five was it five but, okay still still yeah 28 yeah. under is 28 but, under. that's but, right i forgot that was five rounds back then yeah but getting getting back to the canadian open you know I, I went in that week not not playing great but i did i played well the week before in milwaukee i think i finished eighth and that was my first top 10 in a while and um you know i got to i got to the canadian open and um, on the PGA Tour, when you're a young player, the Canadian Open is like playing the John Deere Classic. It's like playing the Hartford Open. It's like playing uh, the Western Open. It's just another date on the schedule until you win it. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, I just won their National Open. This is a big deal. And... Canadians are, in my opinion, the Scots and the Canadians are the two places where golf is just revered. It's, it's, they're huge golf fans in Scotland, huge golf fans in Canada. And then every time I've been back to Canada, whether on the PGA Tour or on the Champions Tour, you're, you're, you're like knighted. You're like you're part of royalty because you won the Canadian Open. And to win it up at Glen Abbey, which is a course that's very, very difficult, was, uh, was really cool. Um, and, then, and then the Inventus Classic, five rounds. I didn't even know Mickelson was in the tournament until the back nine on Sunday because I hadn't seen him because we played three different courses in four days. You know, so I didn't even know he was in the field and all of a sudden he's making a run on Sunday and I see him on the leaderboard. I was like, wow, I didn't even know. He was, I never, I hadn't seen him all week, which is kind of odd because you usually see the stars and I didn't see him. And, um, you know, that tournament, like the Bob Hope classic, it's one of those weeks where you know, going in that you gotta, you gotta shoot really low every day because the score, because the golf courses aren't, you know, they're not demanding long they're just kind of you know short golf courses that you can have a lot of chances and in in, in golf as you know you, know, you get up there and you the first nine holes of a, of a tournament where you have eight legitimate chances and you make zero 
um, you know, then it starts wearing on you that, oh my gosh, I haven't made a putt yet. And then next thing you know, you, you're, uh, you know, you're shooting one under even, and that's not going to get anywhere when you play in Vegas or you, when you play in Palm Springs. And, uh, I remember playing a practice round in Vegas and Freddie couples came up on me, uh, with a couple guys and we were talking and he said, how's your, how's your year going? And I said, Fred, it's been awful. Worst year of my career, actually. You know, I'm 180 something on the money list. We only got a couple more tournaments to go. I had to send my check in for Q school and, uh, you know, it's, it hadn't been good. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. I hadn't even paid attention. You know, well, good luck this week. And that's the week the Titleist came out with this new golf ball, the Pro V1. Mm-hmm. And it was a ball that a lot of us had tested, but it hadn't come out yet. Um, and then it came out that week in a white box, and we put a couple dozen all the players' lockers. And it, I instantly gained 10, 12, 15 yards off the tee. Uh, the ball spun. Uh, it was just this amazing ball from what I was playing. And I put it right in, and then to win with it uh, is pretty special. It really is. To think that, I guess, um, now I become a trivia question, right? <laughs> first guy to win <laughs> Who with the that. First play? Yeah. Who's the first player to win with a Pro V1? Well, uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. And, and to see that golf ball, what it's become, you know, you think about game changers in, 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 in golf. Like, what, what are the things that have – changed the game well I, Eli Calloway coming out with the big Bertha that was a game changer and everybody started copying him and all the all the drivers started getting bigger and bigger and bigger from from what he created you know and then you have this Pro V1 that Titleist brings out and to see where it's gone to see how many players play it to see how many how many players have won with it um, it's just amazing. And to think that, uh, it all started in Vegas and I was, the, I was the first one to win with it. It's pretty cool. I, I would even argue it changed the way younger players learned how to play the game. You, That's you, a great you could, point. You could do stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid forties, right. And I still grew up with stuff that spun and our course yeah. has D one college players, um, that play on our course, our, our country club. And, you watch the speed in which they hit eight irons from like 175. Like we, we couldn't, yeah, right. I wasn't taught to do that. Right. Cause the ball would just go all over right. the place. I think it's literally right. changed. I think it's the, the major start of the modern game and the ability to play golf in a different way that was taught for, for a long period of time. And it's totally you know, that agree. Was a, that's a marking point going forward of, I would consider it kind of like the modern game it allowed those players to do things that, when we were growing up, you couldn't imagine doing with the ball or hitting it that hard without it just going off the mat. Right. Yeah, it's it's right. was absolutely revolutionary. Well, I got a couple other quick hitters, and we'll get you out of Dodge here. So whatever kind of comes okay. to your mind on these two. And like I said, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, no two problem. Or three, two or three best golf courses in the world architecturally and what makes them so great. And it doesn't have to be a course, of course. Uh, it doesn't, I'm sorry. It does not have to be a course that's on the PGA Tour. It could be. Any course that you've you know gotten gotten to play that just ranks up there as the best? Oh, that's a great question. There's so many great gems. There's so many great hidden gems. Um, I just I just always have loved playing Cypress Point uh, out at Pebble Beach. Um, Alistair McKenzie, 
Um, everyone talks about, well, it's great, but the last hole is not a great hole, blah, blah, blah. But um, I just love, I love that. I love the old style. Uh, I grew up on a Seth Rainer course in Rhode Island. Uh, so I love playing Fisher's Island over in New York, right off of uh, New London, Connecticut. Uh, Seth Rainer uh, built a gem there, and I just love going over there and playing. And you know, I grew up with 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 Donald Ross. So uh, all the there's so many great Ross courses. Uh, I love the fact that a lot of a lot of places have restored a, a lot of the Ross, uh, and it's great to see. So those two come to mind. Um, there's a course down in in, uh, in Massachusetts, uh, Catansett Golf Club. There's another one that's just a, a hidden gem. There's so many hidden gems. You know, you can go through New England states. You can talk about them. You can talk about you know the Philadelphia area. You can go to Chicago. It just amazes me. And we had, I had this discussion with some guys not too long ago about there are in Rhode Island there are there there are three golf courses four golf courses that are better than any course in the state of Texas. How can you have the state of Texas be that big and you can't you can't design a golf course that's I mean, you start thinking about it. All right, what's the best courses in Texas? I'm not, I'm not bashing Texas golf. I'm just saying it's. I mean, you, Colonial, you got Dallas National, Peak and right? Valley, and D- Dallas National. That's a that's a big Fazio. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Where? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in New England, in in New York, um, you know. You got all these great golf. Uh, Quaker Ridge is a is a, is a hidden gem. is a fabulous, fabulous place. So I kind of like that old style. I kind of like the uh, tree lined. You know, some courses that have changed. You know, I, I I played L.A. North after they made the changes, and they you know basically cut down all the trees and they kind of opened it up. And 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 I didn't. I don't. It's nice, but it's, I like the old course better. And most people like the new course better. Um, you, look at, you look at Riviera. I mean, that's a, that's a gem. Um, but there's so many great golf courses. It's hard to say who your top three is. I think, uh, I think there's, it's kind of like fine wine. Some people like this, this wine versus the other wine. Or guys that drink, I'm not a scotch or, or whiskey guy, but there's certain types of whiskeys and scotches that people like over others. It's the same with golf courses. You may have your top 10 and it could be completely different than my top 10. And, and what's to say that I, I, I'm going to say that, that your top 10 aren't fabulous places because uh, there's so many good ones. Well, I think we're going to be on the same page because Seth Rayner is my favorite architect of all time. I, I mean, how he did that, without computers or just you know i, I yeah. love what the bunkering off the tees if you could play like yeah. uh they didn't sh- if you ever in the chicago area with you know the redo they did on shore acres is just incredible yeah. um yeah. Chicago golf club had his influence right i mean that might be as good of an inland link style golf course there is in the world 
Um, right. It is my favorite architecture. And now I love how they're bringing them back to life of the originality. And most of their the uh, redos, let's call it, to kind of bring it back, I think they're better um, bringing back the original Rainer architecture. There's something about the bunker. It, he just took what the land was there and made the best yep. out of it without overcomplicating it. But the green complexes, the template holes, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, it's still the best, yeah. in my opinion. They're the most enjoyable I, I walks. Love- Yep. I love the style that, you know, you know when you're on a Rainer that you're playing a Rainer. You know when you're on a Ross that's an original, you know you're playing a Ross. The way the, mm-hmm. you know, the, his four bunkers, the way he, he, he'd hide, he'd, he'd always have a, a short hole with, a, with this big mound in front of the green that looks like it's right up at the green, but it's 40 yards short to, to be deceptive to the player, the player's yeah. eye. Uh, to, to, to do all the courses that he did, I'm talking both of them, but especially Ross. You know, he did them all from his office in in Pinehurst, North Carolina, and sent the plans on. And and, and you know, he had shapers that are out there doing it, which is amazing in those days. Amazing. Yeah, there was something in the water back from that generation in the golden age. But it's it's my favorite architecture as well. Still, like it still stands the test of time, and it's they're just right. enjoyable walks. It's an enjoyable day of golf. Um, Oh, those courses right. are brilliant. Um, I'm with you on that one. So you're, our, our list is probably going to be pretty close to the same, I'd have to imagine. Um, awesome. Best golf shot you ever hit under pressure, and what was the circumstance? Um, there's a few, but I would say um, I had a five-foot putt on the last hole for Bogey to beat Mickelson. And before I putted, I looked up and I saw he was up in where the scores tent was, up in the up in the in the uh, the tent for the scoring was up, so you had to go up like going up um, bleachers, and he was kind of hanging over the railing watching, and I put my put my coin down, I put my ball down, and it looked like that I called the um, superintendent. And just said, make me a path straight to the hole and cut it. And he, he got his mower and he cut it. Because when I put that ball down and I looked at this putt, I said, it's like nobody, there wasn't a spike mark. There wasn't a grass out of place. It was just a straight putt. And if you go back and see the video of it, I mean, it was, to me, it wasn't a hard putt at all. It was like, I, I was kind of chuckling a little bit. Like I mean, how perfect is this? And I hit the I hit the best putt I've ever hit, right down the right down the middle, right in, and under the pressure of being in the situation that I was in, um, being 187th or 80 whatever on the money list, having a terrible year, and having this chance to to win out of the blue with a new golf ball, you could throw that in. But I think that that. Under those circumstances, that was the best shot I've ever, I've ever hit. Um, I've made a couple, a lot of other other good putts and other good shots under pressure, um, but that's the one that stands out because of the circumstances. Last one I got here for you: coolest thing you ever bought for yourself after a win. I know, like family probably comes first as it could, but like, did you ever do anything for yourself after, like, all right, I've got this and I've always wanted it and now it allows me to do it and, you know, to be able now, to reward yourself I, a little I, bit. 
Yeah, no, I never. I'm, I'm I'm not that way, so I never did anything like. If I wanted something, I'd just get it, <laughs> and uh, I didn't. Uh, I can't remember like you know one thing. Um, I'm trying to think. After well, well, maybe when you get that major on the Champions Tour, there'll be something out there that you know make that one super super special. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Well, thanks so much, Billy. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for the insights. Fascinating stuff. Um, look forward to seeing you guys. Uh, any any idea yet when you guys might be able to, they're talking about teeing it up maybe without fans. Are you getting any indication when the first event might be coming yeah, up? Yeah, we've, um, we've, we've talked, and um, I, I can't say, um, I can tell you off the record, I can't say on because yeah. uh, I think it's going to come out today. It was supposed to come out maybe last night or today or tomorrow uh, of our new schedule, um, but uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna play a lot here coming up. Uh, That's awesome. I, I, think, I don't think, but I don't think we're playing anytime soon. It, I think people will be ready for it when it comes back, though, man. We uh, we miss seeing you guys uh, on the Golf Channel and, and watching the guys on the Champions Tour. So stay healthy, and uh, we look forward to you guys kind of getting back out there again. And thanks again for your time on this. I really appreciate it. You got it. Thank you very much.